Principles of Economics, my complete guide to understanding economics, is now available in hardcover, audiobook, and ebook from safeddean.com, Amazon, and many more booksellers worldwide. And now, I am also teaching a course based on this book on my website, safeddean.com. Principles of Economics will run the whole academic year, from September to June, and will have a new lecture every two weeks, as well as weekly live online discussion seminars open to learners from all over the world and from all walks of life. Whether you're a student, a professional, or a retiree, you are making economic decisions every day, and this course will arm you with the wisdom of centuries of economists to improve your economic decision-making. You'll also get a free book of Principles of Economics if you sign up for the course. Go to safeddean.com and sign up now. The Bitcoin Standard Podcast is brought to you by Orange Pill App, the Bitcoin-only social network that connects you with high-signal Bitcoiners, events, and now merchants as well. If you're like me and can't stop talking about Bitcoin, you know how challenging it can be to talk to the no-coiners and how nice it is to talk to someone who gets you. With the Orange Pill app, you can find the Bitcoiners near you and they can replace the no-coiners in your life. You can organize events and meetups with local Bitcoiners and wherever you travel, you can meet up with local Bitcoiners all while being as anonymous as you like. So if you want to build your local network of Bitcoiners, find a Bitcoin meetup or merchants accepting Bitcoin, head over to orangepillapp.com to sign up or download the app from the App Store or Google Play Store and send me a DM so we can get connected. The Bitcoin Standard Podcast is brought to you by CoinKite. CoinKite are my favorite makers of Bitcoin hardware. They produce the legendary Open Dime, the first Bitcoin bearer asset, as well as the reliable cold card hardware wallet, the excellent stainless steel seed plates for storing your seed phrases, and the block clock. Now, CoinKite have produced the SATS card, a card the size of a credit card which can store Bitcoin and works great as a gift. CoinKite have just produced a limited edition gorgeous Bitcoin Standard SATS card, which carries the Bitcoin Standard logo, and you can get it from coinkite.shop slash Bitcoin Standard. Use the code Bitcoin Standard to get 5% off your purchase. This podcast is also brought to you by the Bitcoin Way, your professional Bitcoin IT team offering you personalized, secure, and comprehensive solutions for every step along your Bitcoin journey. The Bitcoin Way offer live concierge service to guide you with your Bitcoin cold storage, running your node, privacy best practices, inheritance planning, corporate strategy, and multi-sig solutions. They don't touch your coins, they guide you through the process of acquiring your coins and securing them. If you'd like to make your setup safer and more reliable, book a consult with them and see what they have to suggest. If you want to give someone the gift of Bitcoin, get them this professional service that will ensure they start off knowing exactly how to manage their coins and not lose them. Go to thebitcoinway.com and start Bitcoining more confidently. Welcome to another Bitcoin Standard Podcast seminar. Today's topic is homeschooling. And our guest is a regular seminar attendee uh, here at safeddean.com, Daniel Prince, host of the Once Bitten Bitcoin podcast and all-round excellent Bitcoiner who's uh, been churning out great quality Bitcoin content uh, regularly and joining us here on the seminar always. Um, you, you, you've definitely heard him if you've listened here before. 
Uh, Daniel also wrote a book called Choose Life, and in it he describes his adventures of uh, quitting uh, the rat race and uh, focusing on homeschooling his kids and traveling the world and uh, living uh, uh, a free life with which uh, I think Bitcoin has uh, arguably helped him quite a bit. So Daniel has for a long time been uh, giving me a lot of pro-homeschooling propaganda and it is something that I am uh, generally uh, favorable to myself. Uh, So I thought we'd have an extensive discussion here on the topic of homeschooling and um, we're going to follow this up with the next uh, discussion in a couple of days on uh, fiat education and the problems of fiat education. So Daniel, thank you for joining us. Thanks for inviting me on, Safe. Really glad to be here. I'm, I'm hoping that propaganda has, uh, has helped in some way. It has, it has. So, um, I mean, it's definitely inching me closer and closer towards the choice of homeschooling. So could you, uh, I guess, make the overall case for why uh, you think somebody should consider homeschooling their kids? Um, you know, schools are out there. We get professionals to do everything for us. Professionals build our computers. They make our furniture. They build our houses. And you can't expect to be able to be good at everything. So why not let uh, specialization do its job with children? Very good question. Um, the, the, the the overriding kind of uh, point that I think people should really understand is that they have a choice. Most people don't even realize that in the first place. They just think school is the be-all and the end-all, and this is the only thing that they have available to them, which just isn't the case. It hasn't been the case for, for many decades, and it certainly isn't the case now. With the rise of the internet and information technology, uh, online schooling and what else, there are so many different ways that you can look and think about educating your children that you'd actually be uh, crazy to not consider them. Yeah, I think it uh, definitely makes sense. And I think uh, the the possibilities that are available for a parent today compared to what they were just 20 or 30 years ago is, uh, is, is very different. In fact... Uh, particularly over the last two years, and as it seems now, you know, this permanent new world in which we live, in which kids going to school is going to be uh, a luxury of a few weeks uh, every year while uh, they spend the rest of the year glued into Zoom, is making it look, you know, no matter where you are in the world, it's looking increasingly uh, well, not no. There are a few places that are holdouts for freedom: Florida and Texas, um, Belarus, and a few other places around the world. But generally, most people are pretty much stuck with uh, homeschooling, uh, one way or the other. You know, even if you don't want to homeschool, you are going to be homeschooling. You're going to have to set them up with a Zoom office and um, have them. Uh, join their teachers and their classmates at the specified times and follow up with all of the work. So it's almost becoming inevitable that you're having to use that. And then, of course, when you think about just the amazing possibilities of what is out there, it kind of makes sense. But then again, isn't it better for a person to just go and do their job rather than um, 
try and learn how to do the job of an elementary school teacher. I mean, these people specialize in doing this year in, year out, 20 years, 30 years. They've got the experience. They've handled kids. They know their problems. They know what they need. And, you know, you're good at other things. You've done other things in your life and you're better off going and mining uh, Bitcoin by doing <laughs> another job and then paying professionals for the handling of your kids. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And um, to, to uh, like, uh, you know, dwell on the point that you were making there about uh, the, the schooling from home, which has been going on ever since uh, COVID hit, uh, that is very different um, to, to homeschooling. What homeschooling is, is a completely different mindset uh, around the education of the kid. It's almost, homeschooling probably shouldn't even be the word because it's not school at home. Uh, a lot of people, there are so many different terms for it, mate, that uh, it's become a little bit of a kind of a niche within a niche. Uh, some people like to say that they're unschoolers. Other people like to say that they're, you know, they're following uh, a self-directed education kind of path, which is probably what we're doing in fact, because we use uh, Galileo. I know a lot of people have listened to the show and, and heard me talk about that. And they've heard Lauren on the show. Um, and she talks about it. And she sometimes has to run off and sign into a different clubs. Uh, so traditional homeschooling that people have in their minds is school at home. And that is what people have been exposed to since we were locked down due to Corona. And it's hell. And it doesn't work because you are not trained and you don't have the time to do all of that. And you don't have the, um, the will to follow like the, um, the, the fiat uh, education curriculum, because you soon find out yourself, God damn, this is boring as all hell. And you just know that you're spinning your wheels and you know, but in fact, the first thing that happens uh, when you do this, and my wife and I, we made this first mistake when we first started to travel in 2014, the first thing we did was create a timetable for our homeschooling. And it would be like 9 a.m., we'll get up and we'll do some, uh, some reading and writing. And 10 a.m., we'll have a break. And at 10.30 a.m., we'll do some, some kind of math. And absolute disaster. But every homeschooling parent goes through the same kind of learning curve because you realize that you, that is only ever going to work in a schooling system where it is compulsory, that that compulsion is there and that set timetable is there. And you have the, um, the system set in place and the teachers are going to have you sat down and opening the books and the bell is going to have you moving when, it's, when, when you're supposed to. And then, um, you know, come the end of the day, eight hours disappears and you can leave again and then go home. First thing you do when you get home is what? Sit at the kitchen table, eat some kind of unhealthy snack, open your homework books and spend the next three or four hours doing more homework. That system itself is a disaster. When you bring that home and you try and replicate that system at home, there's no way in the world that's ever going to work. There is an immediate breakdown between parent and child because you're trying to force a system that is completely uh, alien to the, um, to the home. And it's just a complete mess. But everyone, when they first start, start they will do this. You, you can't stop yourself because we are so programmed. It's so psychologically drummed into us. We've all been systemized. 
possibly since the age of five, depending which country you came from, maybe even earlier, we've all been through it and we're all carrying these um, traumas uh, throughout our schooling career that um, we've been exposed to and have to carry that baggage into our adult life. And that's another real big problem. When you sit down and you start trying to help the kids with certain problems and that problem is out of your scope of intellect, you shut down and you start getting angry and you start getting anxious. And this is a big problem that we see with homework. When kids come home and they need homework help from, uh, from their parents, but their parents suddenly realize this is like no way I was ever taught how to do this my 20 years ago. So they've changed the way that they're teaching kids. There's no way I can get to the answer that they want you to get to using the method that they are using. And then you have this horrible breakdown again within the family. Uh, I've rambled there. I can't remember your exact question in the beginning, but I think no, that's, a, that, that's a very great answer of, uh, you know, why not just hand it over to uh, uh, professionals? Well, um, yeah, well, actually, no, this isn't much of an answer. This is, <laughs> this is an argument for handing them over to professionals, I guess. But you, you, you made a good point about uh, why this kind of uh, environment is, is not good. And I think, yeah, I think I agree. I think um, one common objection you hear to homeschooling is people will say, well, this is terrible preparation for living in society. Uh, you've mm-hmm. got to go to school and you've got to be socialized. But in reality, society is not like that. Society is not you and 30 people in one room and doing what other people have decided for you to do. And you just need to keep following instructions and you're rewarded for how well you follow instructions. This is not life generally. This is life for students at school. And it's if it's useful preparation for a life, it's useful preparation for the life of the military or for the life of a slave or for the life of somebody who's essentially employed uh, with no regard to their will. It's, it's, it's about what others want you to do. And it's... Um, uh, to an extent, it is reflective of the uh, office environment, and I think uh, this isn't this isn't good socialization. I think uh, people who say this um, betray a very uh, warped view of what society is like. If you think school is good preparation for society, I think uh, you misunderstood. Uh, <laughs> you're using your society wrong. I think you need to go back to the shop and ask them how to deal uh, you know how to actually use society properly because it's not similar to school society is not meant to be a place where you're constantly being uh, given orders and uh, treated with no regard to what you want this is i think the key thing about the uh, school system socialization fud is the number one that's the that's that's the boiling the oceans <laughs> of of uh, homeschooling, and it's so tiring. And you've just nailed it. And Theo's just said in the chat: anyone thinking that homeschooling doesn't prepare for life in society, never met a homeschooled child. That is so true, and I cannot like emphasize that point hard enough. Every homeschooled kid I've met, or world schooled kid, or unschooled, or self directed, whatever you want to call it, has blown me away. And it was the early ones that we met in our travels that really started uh, shaping my thinking that about, you know, having made the right decision, because 
we were constantly questioning our decision. Like, what the hell are we actually doing? I've just quit my job, which, you know, was a good fiat mining job. We've just left a country we'd lived in for 15 years. We've got four kids aged under eight, and we're just bouncing around the world with them, like doing whatever the hell we like and just enjoying freedom. But at the same time, using these experiences to uh, layer on learning uh, opportunities and, and education just in an experiential way rather than the compulsory way. And meeting, meeting the, um, the other travelers, because you, you find your tribe, whatever you're doing, you find them online, Twitter, Facebook, wherever, and you, you do a beach meetup or a city meetup, park meetup, wherever you are. And meeting these other families' kids, I was like, oh, shit, man, we're doing the right thing. Look at these kids. They, you know, that they would come up to us. They would shake me by the hand, look me in the eye, even if they were seven, and like introduce themselves. And then I would sit down and have a conversation with them. They were just so adept to talking to anybody of any age, of any culture, of any race, of any color, of any sex. I couldn't believe it. Whereas if you meet a, a typical 13 to 15 year old, completely compulsory schooled um, teenager, you get, they, they won't even look at you most of the time. They, they might just say hello uh, and then kind of look to the floor or and then, you know, sulk off into the corner and, and go onto their device or something. They don't want to be part of you because to them, the adult in the room is the authority. The adult in the room is not to be conversed with. The adult in the room is not to be played with. The adult in the room is just there to be the authority, to tell them what to do if they decide to, that they need them to do something. And that is not social. Now, in my book, um, I, did, uh, I did try and bust the myth of socialization. And um, there, if you look in the dictionary, there, there, there's two uh, definitions of the word uh, socialize. Uh, number one is mixed socially with others, which is what people think is happening at school. They honestly think that by sending your kid into school to be around kids generally the exact same age as them, from the exact same town as them, more often than not the same race as them, that they are going to find friends and socialize, no problem. Now, we all know that that, hardly ever happens we all know that you get crammed into randomly crammed into uh, groups of 25 30 people whether or not you have anything in common like uh, with, with these guys or girls at all and you're forced to sit with them in silence for the next five to seven years whatever it is and you're not allowed to converse and i, I so i tell people all the time it's like when they they complain oh my god my 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 son or my daughter, they get home from school. The first, the first thing they do is get on the phone to their friends. And then they're just on the phone to their friends for like four or five hours, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, well, why do you think that is? Well, I've been with them all day. So, I mean, why did I have to keep on? Yeah, they've been with them all day, but they've not been able to speak to them. Not once. Maybe 15, 20 minutes at recreation. But otherwise, they're sat next to each other, Sure. But they're not talking to each other. They're not sharing ideas. They're not thinking big picture thinking. They're sat down, they're quiet, and they're listening to the flapping head at the front of the room. Uh, the, other, um, the other definition uh, is um, for socialization is 
make someone behave in a way that is acceptable to their society. Yeah. Which is exactly what you just highlighted. Um, and that's what's going on. They are just literally teaching kids to be subservient, to not question authority, and to be one of the masses. And this is the problem that we are facing in society today. People think entrepreneurs are these like amazing, you know, mega minds, uh, you know, uh, take big risks and on whatever else and go and build huge, amazing businesses. I would argue that's actually the default mindset of any human being. And as Sir Ken Robinson quotes, uh, he believes strongly that um, we get educated out of creativity. Yeah. It's just not allowed. You know, that the teacher has to indoctrinate that set of kids to the answer that the curriculum calls for. So that is indoctrination to the answer. And we peel that onion back a little further. Who creates the curriculum and who's looking for the answers? We all know that it's a top-down structure. It's made by uh, education ministers, unelected <laughs> education ministers, bureaucrats. They create the education. They create the um, curriculum. That gets pushed down onto the governing bodies. That gets pushed down onto the schools. That gets pushed down onto the headmaster or mistress. That gets pushed down onto the teacher, and that gets pushed down onto the kids. I mean, shit rolls downhill. Like, there's never a better analogy than that. So the teachers are just as stuck in the system as the kids. They do not have control over the classroom. They can't teach to the schedule that they want to teach. They have to teach to the exact schedule that curriculum calls for. They can't be creative in any way because they have to indoctrinate the kids to the answer that the curriculum calls for. They've lost control and they are just as beaten up by the system as the kids are. They've just pretty much become uh, heavily um, administrated or administrative um, heads at the front of the class that are just basically grinding out a 30-year career so they can get to the end of it, walk away and, and have their pension and that's a disaster in itself because teachers and mentors they need space they need creativity they want to connect with kids that's why they go into teaching to have that ability taken away from you is a real travesty the syllabus for my new online economics course principles of economics is now available on safeadeen.com the course will take place over 18 lectures, each based on one chapter from my new book, Principles of Economics, which will be available for free as an ebook for everyone registering for the course. Lectures will be released once every two weeks on Mondays, starting on the 25th of September, 2023, and will be available in video and audio format. Live discussion seminars will be held once a week on Thursdays at alternating time slots, 12 hours apart, to ensure learners can attend from all over the world. I'm happy to announce that I have set up my new publishing house and online bookstore, The Safe House, which will be publishing and delivering the best Bitcoin and Austrian economics books worldwide in hardcover, audiobook, and ebook formats. 
Go to thesafehouse.com to buy my latest book, Principles of Economics, as well as the Fiat Standard and the Bitcoin Standard. And now I'm also publishing Fiat Food, Matthew Lishak's amazing investigation into how inflation ruined our diet and health. And I'm also publishing Lynn Alden's Broken Money, her masterful exploration of the failures of the global financial system and how Bitcoin fixes it. This is a Bitcoiner's bookshop, so the books are printed in beautiful cloth hardcover made to last with an ice-colored dust jacket on top. Go to thesafehouse.com and get yours now. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, I've noticed this. Uh, I think education all around the world has generally become a lot more formulaic and centralized and standardized over the past few years. And I hear stories about it just, uh, you know, it's it, it's about getting the right answer using the right way that they want. And the right answer is how they think of it. It's not about it being, uh, making sense. And it's not about it being correct um, in, in any practical sense. And I think, uh, you know, one thing you alluded to is the fact that they get back home and they want to talk to their friends. Another thing that they do when they get back home is they want to do homework, which I found uh, absolutely uh, insane, <laughs> really. I mean, you, you, you wake them up early in the morning, you drag them out of bed, you get them dressed, and you send them off to a place where they would learn, and they come back, and they still need to do more learning. It seems to me, I'm, it doesn't just seem to me, I've gone through this uh, hellscape for 12 years. I know what I'm talking about. I, I, I remember... Remember, you know, you can imagine how insufferable I must have been as a 14-year-old having to go through school. And, you know, my parents and my teachers suffered a lot with me explaining to them, you know, why this is just so stupid. And I was there. I used to remember just how much of the day would, would go toward learning new things. I remember I, it was around ninth or 10th grade where I would keep track by the minute of how many minutes we spent learning new useful information during that day. And it was almost always, not almost always, it was always under an hour of new stuff because uh, that that's the only kind of real new learning that you do because the rest of the day you're going over old stuff or you're um, preparing for an exam or you're uh, just engaged in all kinds of uh, repetitive exercises, repeating uh, the same kind of thing. But you've gone through the enormous hassle of getting all these kids shipped off to one location, which is always a logistical nightmare, you know, uh, getting them all in safely into the same place on buses or cars, all of them to come in together. And all that they do is learn a very few things. And then they go home and they need to go home and they need to study on their own because they have to learn on their own. They have to spend their time doing their homework. And it's, uh, it's, it's an enormous waste. And if you think about it, uh, what kids do in the summer uh, when they're free from school ends up being the most memorable and most, uh, most uh, even educational things that they do. Because in the summer, they could take care, advantage of this and actually go out and explore nature, explore life, get a summer job, um, you know, live like members of society rather than um, members of uh, a weird cult. Um, they can actually go out there, you know, and help somebody in their shop and uh, make a little bit of money and then buy something with it. It's, 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 it's very educational. So life itself is 
um, it has a lot to offer for everyone and definitely has a lot to offer for children who have seen so little of life. So just getting them out there to experience life for me is, is, uh, is extremely valuable. And school prevents that from happening. And it doesn't do it. It doesn't take up a lot of time because it's worth it. It takes up a lot of time because it's inefficient. I used to think um, if I was... Uh, doing the if i was doing the curriculum on my speed uh, it would take a lot less time and i think it's true for most kids generally because classes generally have to go at the speed of the slowest kids um, and on the one hand you have that but then even perhaps more important than that is just the inefficiencies of having to get everybody on the same page and then switching them up, you know, where you have to go from chemistry to mathematics to um, all these different subjects in 50-minute intervals and get the kids to snap out of this topic and get into that topic and move the kids around or move the teachers around. It's just, um, there's a lot of inefficiency involved in it as opposed to just letting the kids figure out what they want and supervising the learning. I can see, I can definitely see the benefits of having professional teachers, um, but I don't see the benefits of this industrial scale model. I can see, I think it's, uh, it's done primarily to the benefit of um, uh, government and organizations that want to have people um, turn into useful, docile uh, um, order takers. In the second degree, it is beneficial for children, for, for parents, because they get a lot of free time without having to deal with their children. And it's uh, relatively cheap, although... I mean, public schooling is cheap, but private schooling is expensive. But it's definitely not in the interest of the student. I think if the uh, if the student had the means uh, of an adult who would be willing to give them some time and attention, they could do a lot with their time. They could learn much more efficiently. What do you think of that in terms of just the efficiency of learning the uh, educational material, whatever it is? First of all, it shocks me to learn that you were questioning authority at the age of 14 so, <laughs> and uh, saw through the inefficiencies of the industrial beast that it is. But, you know, you, you're so right. It, it's daycare. Like, let's call it what it is. Straight up, it's daycare. And that's going to trigger a few people. Oh, no, it's not. You know, you know, oh, man, like the, the best meme they ever came up with was free education is a human right. That is a meme. It's a tagline and it's very, very powerful and people repeat it and they repeat it and they repeat it. And then as soon as they, um, they, they feel like, well, free education is a human right, then bam, I've got to put my kids into school. I've got to put my kids into that uh, education system. But what, they didn't, what they didn't tell you, like the small print of that meme was, as long as we have the ability to teach them whatever we want, whenever we want. And this is where we have like the nationalistic curriculums in different countries around the world. Um, and again, people are going to be like, oh, what's he talking about? There's no way it's nationalistic. Well, you know, check a history curriculum and any different country, you'll find they're very nationalistic bias towards that country. Uh, in America, I believe they still um, stand up each morning and pledge allegiance to the flag. I mean, if that's not nationalistic, I don't know what else is. In Singapore, our kids... Um, we schooled them uh, across different uh, schools. When they went to state school, they played the national anthem every morning at 7.30 a.m. when you're expected to be at the school gates. If you were 
walking across the playground with your child to take them into the class and the first bar of the national anthem started, you had to stand still, man. Rain or shine. No walking whilst the national anthem played. It's mental when you think about it. And it is just daycare. You're so right. It's because it frees up, and we all know why. There was a huge push back in, um, well, after the uh, 50s and 60s, a huge push to push women into the workplace. And again, totally agree with, you know, ladies, you want to go and work? Absolutely, 100%. But that was infiltrated. And for a very good reason, people were, uh, women were aggressively pushed into the workplace because you suddenly become a taxpayer. Your tax base goes up by a lot if you've now got women in the workplace. So what do you do? You lay on daycare. Daycare is state education under the guise of education um, is uh, free education is a human right. So you have these inefficiencies in the system that you're talking about. These kids, like you're saying, maybe you're 12, maybe you're in a math class and it's just clicking what you're talking about that day. You're just getting it. Then the bell goes and you're off to history. You can never get in a flow state. Ever. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's just not the way we learn as human beings. We just do not learn that way. We learn when we're involved in something. Everybody listening to this will attest to the fact they've listened to thousands of hours of Bitcoin podcasts. They've read all the books. They've read all the articles. They've watched all the YouTube videos. Their own time. And they have no idea how many hours they've done doing it because they've been so involved in it. They're in that flow state. They're interested in the, uh, the material and they're going to learn. They're just going to naturally learn. That's how human beings learn. Not in short, sharp bursts of 45 minutes or in an hour and a half, if it's a double period, listening to the flapping head who's disinterested just as much as the kids because they're thinking about the next period and maybe they've got the 15-year-olds coming in next and they've got preparing their, mentally in their mind what's the next part of the curriculum for them. It's, it's such a broken system but very few people ever want to challenge it. The system never gets challenged, ever. What happens instead is really insidious. It's the kid's fault. There's something wrong with the kid. And if there's something wrong with the kid, that blame gets pushed onto the parents. It's the parents' fault. So the parents get pushed, uh, pulled into school. Your son can't sit still. He's, he's eight. Well, there's something wrong with him. And we can't have him disrupting the rest of the class. So now it's the parents' fault. And Naomi Fisher talks about this in her book, Changing Our Minds. It's a brilliant book. And she talks about um, the blame or brain um, phenomenon, that ha phenomenon that happens when you're faced with this as a parent. It's like, well, I'm going to blame myself, which is very, very difficult to do as a parent because you know you've done everything you can for your child. It's just natural. Or there's something wrong with the brain. And so then what happens? Oh, there's something wrong with our kid. Then you get pushed into this corner of begging for a diagnosis of something. Just give me a diagnosis so that we know what's wrong with our child. When there's nothing fucking wrong with the kid at all. It's yeah. the system. We have got this despicable problem where ADHD or it's called something else, I think, in the, in the States. 
um, ADHD or ADD. I, I don't know. Um, that there's yeah, we're pumping kids full of Ritalin because they can't sit still in a classroom. They're bored out of their heads with. It's mate. I, I cannot state how angry that makes me. Yeah, it's insane. I think there's an enormous amount of money that is being made from um, medicating normal human uh, reactions to uh, all kinds of things. And it's uh, it's uh, in, instead of thinking about what it is is in the environment that is driving people to do these uh, dysfunctional behaviors, uh, the idea is nope. It's well, it's got to be something chemical, and so let's just uh, give them some drugs, and that'll fix it. And of course, uh, education is um, is contributing to that uh, particular sales funnel quite prolifically. It's, an, it's, it's astonishing the number of uh, people that uh, have their lives uh, taken over almost by a dependency on a drug from a very young age. And it's uh, pretty uh, difficult to beat it. But I mean, some people do beat it, but it's not easy to get over this. Um, and it's, uh, it's absolutely insane because when you think about it, yeah, the, the the kids don't want to sit still in class because they want to do other things. You know, they do have other ideas of what they'd like to do. And all of these other things that they interest them, they could develop into learning opportunities or they could develop into careers or they could develop into lifelong passions. So uh, letting the child have the freedom to explore and learn what they want will eventually drive them in the direction of wanting to learn. You know, whatever it is that the child is interested in. So let's say they like uh, sports cars. So then they get into sports cars, they spend their time pursuing their interest in it, and then they realize, well, if you want to work in sports cars, you need to learn um, math and you need to understand engineering. And that means there are certain things you need to learn. Here are some books. Read this book and you'll be able to uh, maybe one day get a job making these cars or designing them. And that's, that's going to get the passion of the child to start spending an enormous amount of uh, time on this. And if you look at people that... Um, excel in many fields, you find that they had that freedom growing up where uh, their school was almost turned into a secondary um, concern because they were spending their time, the majority of their time, going after this one passion of theirs. And it could be becoming an athlete, it could be studying a topic, it could be uh, performing um, music or um, all kinds of things. Um, or it could be just a, a highly um, specialized skilled job, which they grow into, say like a, a graphic designer or a programmer or um, all of these things, you know, people end up pursuing them with passion outside of school hours because they love them, they enjoy them, they want to learn, they want to get better at them. And you see it and you see people doing this all through their life. And um, for children, it's a, it's just a very big waste of time to engage in this, in, in my opinion, in this formulaic system of r performing rituals in order to get to education when you could be... Um, 
directing yourself towards the things that you want. And I still think, you know, you need adult supervision, but I don't think you need adult supervision in the form of being shuffled into one building with hundreds of people um, and uh, subject to standardized testing and having your schedule hijacked for an entire day for essentially nine months of the year. I don't think that's the guidance they need. I think kids could use a lot um, more individualist guidance. And I see, I see perhaps the value in having classes, but I don't think it makes sense. You know, I, I can see how uh, it would make sense to hire somebody to, um, you know, hire a bunch of kids, uh, for a bunch of kids' parents to get together and hire somebody who's good at chemistry to give them good chemistry classes. Um, but, you know, having it as part of an entire curriculum, along with other topics, is just asking for trouble. <laughs> if you start systematizing it and if you start uh, forcing all these um, schedule development uh, around the topic, it turns it into... Um, it turns it into a chore, basically, and then it knocks out the curiosity. Yeah, 100%. It's funny you, you mention a, a sports car driver, for example. Fangio, the best sports car driver of all time, became the best. He, he attributes the fact that he became the best sports car driver of all time because when he was a teenager, I think his father wanted him to be a doctor or something, or you know, the classic doctor, lawyer, or finance, whatever. He just wanted to work with cars, and he would go and work in the local garages for free even. And he got a very, very intimate understanding of the mechanics of a car to the point where he was driving uh, in Formula One, he could still strip and rebuild that engine. Now, there's a reason he became the number one driver in the world of all time. It's because of when he was a kid, he got lost in that learning and he became part of that whole experience with his hands. He was learning from his mistakes. Um, you know, that's not something you can learn in a classroom. Like if it had taken mechanical, like a uh, sports car racing, mechanical lessons for 45 minutes once a week, he <laughs> would not have had the same results. Uh, it's, um, yeah, and even if he studied mechanical engineering at university level, which I did, um, to be perfectly honest, I mean, it's uh, a lot of it is just a bunch of equations that they tack on um, later. But uh, <laughs> if I wanted to go out there and get a sports car to actually work, pretty much most, 90% of what I'd need to know to make the sports car work, I wouldn't have learned in mechanical engineering. And 90% of what I learned in mechanical engineering is not going to be relevant to making that sports car work. Um, it's relevant and useful for um, making exams and for uh, having a curriculum. And, you know, to, to give credit, I think it's useful in uh, filtering people in terms of conscientiousness and work ethic in that uh, you can't get an engineering degree unless you have the ability to sit down and spend several hours tackling a problem um, and thinking about it and uh, thinking really hard about how to solve it. So you see 
there is some value perhaps in that, in, in screening for employees, but it's an enormously inefficient way of screening. You know, you, you, you could get a much better, uh, more efficient way of screening uh, for these things without having to go through all of these very elaborate rituals. But yeah, I think um, it's, it's very different in that sense. So, so tell us then, how do you go about it? So you don't do the curriculum, you don't have math and uh, you don't have a set hour for math. So then what do you do? They just party all day? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got four kids and this is another thing you've got to remember. Like each kid is completely different. Like, we have twins, mate, completely different. Like uh, totally different work ethic, totally different interests, totally different learning style completely different. So if they're in the same classroom together, which we've experienced, they've been in the same classroom together, we'll get good reports for one and me reports for the other. That's not like, it, it drives me crazy because you know, it, now all of a sudden their, their personalities are being judged rather than their, um, their abilities. And their abilities, are, as we know, uh, as their parents, just found in different areas. And if one of those um, abilities isn't being addressed in a the classroom, then, um, then they're going to perform badly in the eyes of the, uh, of the teacher. Um, so right now, uh, our 16-year-old, uh, she chooses to go to school. She uses the education system. Uh, we are in France. And when we, when we traveled, we traveled for two and a half years doing the world schooling. Uh, we took a break. We took... Um, a long-term rental in France and we wanted the kids to learn another language and we knew that the only way that we could do that was to immerse them so again it comes back to the original point choice you have a choice you can do what you want and what you need to do when you see the opportunity arise so there was a Montessori French school in a little hamlet we put the three youngest ones in there let's try this out for a week they were the school were really happy to bring them on and the kids really enjoyed it uh my oldest one went to uh the uh the older school uh the um it's called a lycée here uh college excuse me now the the younger three they're all back out and they are using uh what uh we call a self-directed education platform that's galileo galileo uh, galileoxp.com and the way that works is because it's self-directed education, the kids are in charge of making the decisions of what clubs they want to join. So they take a look at the clubs. Each month, the clubs get mixed up. There are some that just run all year round, like uh, the math class runs all year round, science classes, uh, English writing classes run all year round, uh, which they do and which they enjoy doing. The, and there's a coding coding class that runs it all year round as well. Uh, so you decide, um, and then they have these monthly clubs that they just pop up. It'll be, uh, there might be a club on, um, I'm trying to think of the most recent ones, uh, anthropology or archaeology or, uh, you know, just studying amphibians for whatever reason. Uh, and somebody will come on and run that club for the kids to join if they're so interested. So what you get is a teacher on a Zoom call with 10 to 15 kids that have chosen to be there. They're there for a reason. The teacher's there for a reason. And so you have a much better learning environment straight away. Uh, so my kids' days, they, uh, they start around 9 to 
they log on to their Zoom calls. They do their, their morning meeting check-in with the, the usual bunch of guys for 30 minutes. Then they'll go and make themselves some breakfast, generally egg and bacon. My son loves a breakfast burrito. Can't stop him eating them. And then they have the rest of the day. They might have a couple of hours where nothing's going on. Uh, so they might um, hang out with me. They might uh, be doing something with mum. But then at like 11 o'clock, they'll have a, a book nook uh, meeting where that's English literature, for example. They'll be playing games, learning about English, learning about grammar uh, with the, the English teacher. Uh, maybe this afternoon, I think they have a debate club, which is hosted by an adult. And he will pick a topic each week and split the guys into two and debate a subject, whether it's a current event or an existing event or just a made up hypothetical event. And uh, that's been a really good experience, actually. The kids all love that one. They've now started a few language classes. Um, and the, the cool thing is they, they plug into all of these different tools that are already available or um, starting to launch on the internet. So if there are so many different platforms starting now, like we talk in the, uh, the Bitcoin space about how Corona has sped up the world by about 10 years. Like the, the, the shift, the move to online or alternative education, whatever you want to call it, is happening so damn quickly. And I know you're involved with uh, Sailor.org. So that's a perfect example of what, how that is going to make university almost seem obsolete seem at least at least give you at least give you an option do i want to spend 200 grand or do i want to go and learn what i want at my own pace on this on this platform over here so we, we've we've captured it all now from from 8 to 18 you have platforms like galileo where you can learn whatever you want self-directed find what you're interested in and then you'll have something like sailor.org where you can really start knuckling down and even, I think uh, Michael Saylor said they're hoping in, in the next couple of years to even become fully accredited. So you'd be able to graduate, you know, quotes from that online university with the accreditation that you need to go out and into the marketplace and start looking for work. This, this is huge. This is massive. Yeah, it's insane. I think the, um, you know, we, I was just discussing uh, Sailor.org with Michael Sailor a couple of days ago on Twitter Spaces, and I'm going to be releasing this as a podcast. In fact, it's probably going to be out by the time this one's out. Um, and it's it's amazing. They're closing in on a million students. They're going to have their millionth student coming, joining them in the next month or so. And uh, when you think about it, you know, the cost of getting an education for a student there, think about all of the money that they've spent on sailor.org since conception until today um, for a million students you know it's going to be I would imagine probably at most 20 bucks a student if 20 million is the total amount of spending maybe uh, so whatever it is it's not going to be more than a hundred so it's it's a hundred dollars maybe it could be as little as a dollar I don't exactly know how uh, they run it on the back end and how much it cost but it's a million students for uh, what is definitely less than a hundred dollars per student um, and then you think about universities you know traditional universities who are always looking for donations think about how much your money can go there so you could donate to one of these universities $200,000 and you would give one student an education. Whereas if you donate 
maybe $100 to sailor.org or $50 or $10, you'd give a student um, an education. And, and I think, uh, you know, it might be much less than that um, in, in, in all likelihood. So the efficiencies involved are enormous. And it's um, like, I think there are definitely advantages to the personal uh, experience of education where you go to a classroom and interact with others. Sure, it's definitely nicer than uh, sitting in front of a screen. But it's, uh, you know, you have to think about, you have to weigh all of the um, costs and benefits of both decisions in order to come out all with an answer of which is better. Because you'll get the vast majority of the benefits of the lecture, whether you're watching it on uh, online or if you're watching it in person. And then with the money that you save, you know, if you go to sailor.org and the whole thing costs you uh, nothing, basically just the, the internet connection and electricity. Um, well, if you wanted to get the certificate, you need to pass the courses. There's an actual exam that you have to pay for. There's a $100 fee or something because you're going to pay for somebody to proctor you while you take the exam. So it'll cost you something. But practically, it rounds down to zero. It's it's a rounding error next to the cost of going to a regular university. So now think about the opportunity cost of the going to the university. Is it really worth that extra um, personal interaction you get from sitting in the classroom? Is it really worth having all that money available for you to invest in um, something that you enjoy um, working on after you graduate? I think this is really the key thing. I used to say this to my students when I was a university professor and it would seriously make them question staying in university, which is, you know, like um, a lot, of, uh, whatever it is that you want to do, whatever job you want to get, you know, think about all the money that you're putting at university, and spend the next spend the years of university learning on your own online, and learning on the job in whatever job you want to do. So let's say you want to go into um, graphic design, you know, go and get a job in graphic design and learn online. Or if you want to do, um, if you want to get into hospitality business, say hotels or restaurants, you know, go work as a waiter in a restaurant um, and save all of that money. And after three years of being a waiter and learning about it, uh, learning about hospitality industry online. After three, four years of that, take all the money that you would have paid for the university and use that to set up your own business or go as a partner in another business or something. And I think there's an enormous, um, there's an enormous opportunity cost that people have just been conditioned not to think about. Our econ textbook that we teach at university barely mentions opportunity cost um, <laughs> for very good reason. I think if students were made to think of it, um, you know, just think or uh, th think think of what money you pay for the degree. Think about how much of a head start it would give you in whatever industry you want to go into if you had that money available and if you could just learn online. And that's the key thing. Even if it's not the same as the experience of the classroom. When you get it for a thousandth of the cost, that means you can save all that extra money and use it to launch your career to do whatever it is that you want to do. The things that you, you know, the destination from the university, because the university is not the destination. No, and there's, there's a lot of things going on there as well, because how do you get the money? You're not going to have it, right? So you have to go into debt personally to get the student loans and then you by the time you hit the job market 
probably not at the the level you were even expecting to hit it at after that four years of you know working your probably partying your balls off uh to um to get through the college uh you 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 generally feel that by the time you walk away from that you are <clears throat> entitled to some half decent paying job very very rarely ever happens so you come out of that with that kind of psychological baggage like you know well what the hell just happened there and how am i 200,000 in debt or maybe mom and dad have paid for it and then that just causes a huge strain on the relationship within the family uh there's there's a lot of um messed up uh, relationships where people they've gone to university on mum or dad's dime and then there's the pressure like the it's real uh, especially if people have that kind of tiger mum hanging over them, uh, you know, you've got to be a lawyer, you've got to be a doctor, whatever it is. And some people are just coming away so messed up, so messed up. And then when they get out of college, they realize, well, that four years, I just ground that out. This is not what I want to do at all. Like, not at all do I want to go in and follow this path. But that's the PhD I've got, that's the degree I've got. So now they feel handcuffed and, you know, kind of painted themselves into a corner that they've got to keep following that path. They've got to go and get that, in air quotes, high paying job to start paying off the loan or to at least kind of validate mum and dad spending that money for you in the first place to go. It's really damaging. And if people had just been given the freedom of choice to begin with, and they've been able to follow their passions and kind of just follow their natural bent. There's a, there's a quote by Plato. I'll have to find it. Um, something along the lines of um, learning under compulsion uh, holds uh, nothing over the mind or something like that. And, uh, you know, it's letting people find their, their, their passions or their natural bent. I've completely butchered that. I'll have to find it. Perhaps you can put it in the show notes. But uh, yeah. it's it's brilliant, and that's Plato. Like you know, this is this is not a new thing. Um, but and we we forget like school is a new thing. School is an experiment, right? We we didn't have school two hundred years ago. It didn't exist. It is yep. it, it is not the norm. We think it is, but it isn't. It never was. Never had been up until the late 18th century. But now here we are just blindly walking the line and sending our kids to school um, without even thinking about it. And, and you brought something up earlier as well about you know dragging the kids up out of bed at like seven o'clock in the morning, shoveling some bullshit cereal down their necks, putting them onto a bus. So they're going to the school already exhausted and um, malnourished. Yeah. And they get to school and what are they going to eat? They're probably going to eat the packed lunch that you packed, which is a bread sandwich and some kind of chocolate bar and a packet of crisps and a juicy drink. Or they're going to go to the school canteen and been, goodness knows what they're going to be, um, what they're going to be given there. Malnourished, exhausted. They get home and then, like you said, books out, carry on with the malnourishment <laughs> and the exhaustion. It's a spiral, a death yeah. spiral. And it's not, there's no learning going on. Ah, 
Marquita, thank you. The Plato quote, knowledge which is acquired under compulsion has no hold on the mind. Therefore, do not use compulsion, but let early education be a sort of amusement. You will then be better able to discover the child's natural bent. Nice. When was Plato around? Anyone know? Like, <laughs> you know, this is... <laughs> Uh, yeah, th- th- there's just, there's so much, there's so much wrong with it that people aren't questioning. Yeah. And I think, you know, one thing about it is that it, uh, destroys a lot of people's sense of discipline for life. School does that. There is, I can see the point here with the, where you could say, well, maybe Plato can say something like this, but most kids these days <laughs> need to just shut up and learn their numbers, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. There is definitely a point there. Like there are some things that sometimes maybe, you know, it's, it shouldn't all be, it, it's, it's not just a consumer experience. It's, it's not a sensory experience. Um, you know, if you just let kids completely have their, uh, what their curiosity directs them, they're going to want to learn about eating ice cream every day. <laughs> That's going to be what they want. So obviously, you know, the role of a parent or an educator is to um, channel their interests in a way that is productive, to try and direct them in a way that is useful, that can help them ask the right questions so that they can get preoccupied in the right things and not just choose to, you know, I'm going to eat uh, ice cream all day, every day, and that will be my learning ex- um, experience. But I think um, the issue with schooling is that when it's done according to this brutal schedule and this top-down direction, then it it doesn't quite teach children uh, discipline in the healthy way. It teaches children discipline out of fear. It teaches children the idea that you do the things that you are supposed to do because otherwise you get into trouble and you know maybe you get caned or you get suspended from uh, school or you get low grades and then your parents get angry and there are all these terrible consequences to not performing the job in school and i think for a lot of people you know what screws up their 20s is the fact that in in their mind is i got out of university i got out of school i no longer have to be uh, i no longer have to do what i'm told and then that takes away the entire concept of discipline, the entire concept of self-control. And so you'll do everything that you want whenever you want, then you <laughs> become a child all over again. And I think uh, it's, it, it's very common because it teaches kids that um, discipline and productive work is something that can only be uh, coaxed out of you or that you have to be coerced into. And then once you snap out of that, then... Um, once you're out of the, once you're not in a position where somebody can um, influence you and coax you into action or threaten you or or cajole you into action, then you don't have to do anything. So you just spend all of your day um, being uh, just following your basis desires, uh, eating and uh, partying and. But of course, I think you know it, when you do experience that in your twenties, eventually it catches up to you in one way or the other. You realize, you know, if you don't turn up to work, you lose your job, you lose your money. And then you start building the healthy sense of discipline, of understanding discipline as freedom, understanding discipline as just protecting 
protecting yourself from the negative consequences of what will inevitably happen if you're not disciplined. And that's the healthy uh, approach, which I think this is what childhood should be about. I think this is what education should be about. You know, if there's anything that children should do is (laughs) develop this um, conception of discipline teach them to develop this idea of wanting to do the right thing. And obviously it's not easy, but I think the school isn't really helping. The school is uh, getting in the way. And then they they only learn it. Most of us, I think, only really learn this stuff in our 20s. Yeah, what's going on is obedience, right? Uh, That's that's what, um, they're not teaching discipline, they're teaching obedience. Um, And Peter Gray, I mean, he was brave enough to to come out and... uh, he he wrote the book uh, Free to Learn, um, and actually, when he was on my podcast, uh, I I call uh, I have a little joke running joke with my oldest daughter that uh, chooses to go to school. I call it the local gulag. I'm like, you know, <laughs> why, why on earth? Why on earth do you want to go to that that gulag? Um, and it was Peter Gray that uh, that brought this up that that schools you can compare a school directly to a prison, uh, and in fact, he got a lot of uh, of shit for that as you can imagine that just triggers a lot of people but then when you think about it and he logically explains it um anybody can go back and listen to that interview with him uh you know he talks about well you know if you think about it is you know you, you take the kid to school you leave them at the gate that gate gets locked at a certain point no parents are allowed on to the the school grounds no child is allowed to leave uh and they are under constant supervision all day long uh they are only given x amount of free time to go and play um the 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 food is definitely comparable Uh, and in fact i think uh people who've done studies on this found that there's more free time given to inmates than there are to um to kids in school and (laughs) it's when when you start thinking about it that way, you're like, holy shit, that there's that that that's so true, and it's it, it comes back to the socialization thing again. When uh, when people talk about you know school has to be, you, you have to send your kids to co- to school so they can socialize, you know, it's it's an anti-social arena because, like we said, you're put into that classroom, you have no choice. You have to sit down and shut up. The only chance you're going to get to make some kind of connection or make some kind of friends is in that break time, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, or an hour maybe at lunch, whatever it is. But you generally spend most of that time avoiding the people you already know you want nothing to do with rather than hanging out with the people. And you would not ever go and talk to the people younger than you and you wouldn't ever, because that, you know, they're below your station, you wouldn't ever go and speak to the people higher than you. So you get niched, stamped and packaged within your first two weeks of that schooling um, career. And that's you, man, you're done. That is your niche and subset for the whole time. There's nothing social about that. And it's just... Yeah. And I think, you know, at, at a very basic level, we studied this in our economics course on safetydean.com. You know, society is made up of people who uh, interact with one another voluntarily. And it's... Uh, civilization is based on the idea that we don't have to know each other, but we respect each other's property. We respect each other's bodies. We don't take each other's stuff. We don't hurt each other. And um, we cooperate when we both agree to it. 
Um, and that's not what school is. So, you know, children are not autonomous in school. They're dragged around and told what to do in very specific, almost um, mechanistic um, terms. You know, you, you stand in line at this time, you go in, you take notes, you remember this, you memorize that, you answer this way, you answer that. And it's just a constant exercise in uh, subjugating your will and not um, enacting your will, not listening to your will, not listening to yourself, not letting yourself act the way that you want. It's just a constant subjugation of your will and th this learned helplessness of understanding that whatever is going to happen now is going to happen because it's been predetermined. And your only way of fighting is to get into trouble, basically become a misfit. You know, either submit or become a misfit, basically, and become a failure and then get drugs and then have your parents show up and then be treated like you're sick because you don't want to go along. So it's, it's, it's a cruel exercise almost in uh, drumming the humanity out of children. Yeah, completely. Um, we should probably talk, uh, you know, about certification because people ask me about yes. it all of the time. Um, <laughs> do you remember when you started your safetyin.com and you were thinking about uh, I think someone even asked you, is there going to be a certificate if I take this course? Uh, and I remember having an email uh, exchange with you about it. And I'm like, well, if people want a certificate, you can just download one from the internet and send it to them if you want. <laughs> and you responded to me, fuck it, decision made. There's no way I'm doing certificates. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's true. I mean, I think, I don't know. I'm I'm perhaps revisiting that, I must admit. But like my initial... <laughs> My initial, um, in general, when I want to do things, I'm extremely laser focused in a way that can be a little uh, funny and absurd and uh, inappropriate at times. <laughs> but my idea was I wanted to teach an Austrian economics class. And so everything else was, a de was details. And when I just get um, taken by the mission of doing something, like getting this class done, the focus is on the mission itself. And it's very hard for me to think of other things. And so for me, it was preparing the material for the course and all the time that I could spend on preparing the material is time that I wanted to spend on preparing more material and preparing an exam just did not strike me as being intellectually interesting and I just um, I uh, yeah I think um, <laughs> it's uh, it doesn't quite make sense to test people for many things um, and I think Austrian economics is not easily conducive to those um, kinds of questions. It's, uh, I, I, I thought of these courses being perhaps more about the individual just learning for their own sake rather than for certification. And that's why I haven't offered any certification. But now, um, sailor.org have bought my course and they made me add uh, questions for it. And I must admit, it's helped me uh, rethink uh, examination, or I think there is some value to it. Um, but examination, in particular, for students to to you know test their own knowledge. Uh, but I think also there's value, perhaps, in some kind of certification. Um, ultimately. I, I had a, too much of a reaction against the idea of certification based on universities because universities 
um, turn this into something absurd. But I think, um, you know, a brief online course with a standardized test um, is something that people might benefit from adding onto their CV. If you can guarantee a specific way of, uh, of testing and, um, you know, making sure that it can't be easily hacked as sailor.org do. So it can be, it might be useful. So maybe I've changed my mind a little bit about that. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yeah, I get asked all the time, well, how are your kids ever going to be able to go to university? If they don't have any qualifications. Uh, this is another myth that's been busted about a hundred times, if not more. Um, I've actually interviewed people that uh, run businesses where they help um, kids put together in the US, it's called a, uh, a transcript. Uh, basically a great big folder of everything that you've learned throughout like your childhood, every book that you've read, uh, any languages that you've learned, et cetera, et cetera. And what generally happens is homeschooled kids and homeschooled homeschooling parents, um, that <laughs> they always play the system slightly differently. So what they would do is make appointments to go to the office of the administration's officer in the universities and actually turn up make an appointment, turn up the, the child and the parent with the transcript, sit down in front of the admissions officer, go through everything that they've done, all of their experiences. Maybe they've been world schooling families and they can just pull up the blog and it, it, we did this, we did this. This is why we don't have the typical SAT results and you know whatever else. They get signed up on the day. One lady, she had the admissions officer walked them down to the photocopier, took uh, took pictures and um, had uh, everything uh, photocopied and uh, signed and whatever else to come and study the uh, at, at the college of their choice and the subject of their choice. Now, the reason for that is, as an admissions officer, you let that person walk out. You <laughs> you're trying to attract people to the university, and if you can attract slightly different, forward-thinking people that are going to bring something else to the university, then you're going to take them on straight away rather than that just stack of SATs that are just sitting there that you, you take a hundred at random and say, okay, yeah, fine. You can come, you're in. Uh, it's, you, you should watch actually, if you've not already, the college admissions scandal on, um, on Netflix. That gives you a, a real insight as to how broken that system is uh, in the U S for, for people getting into it and going to college and um, the uh, like, how bad it is for students that lose out because of the scandals that have been going on uh, for people getting in that shouldn't have got in at all. But like you say, if you make a donation to the right place, or if you use that coach that's going to get you in the side door, then um, yeah, you're all good. It's completely uh, complete nonsense. Um, I was going to go off on another tangent. Um, Certification. Uh, so, yeah. Is there a need for it? No. Is there a want for it? Yes. Some people want to have the certificates. They like to have something to show for the work that they've put in. Uh, our daughters, uh, 16 now and, and 13, this year sat a GCSE, virtually sat a GCSE French exam because they can speak French, they're fluent in French, and they want the certificate to say, they want to get the A or the A star. They want that. 
Uh, so my wife and I, you know, we, we looked around, how can we make this happen? There are companies, they, there's even a remote school here in, in France, where, which we could use and we could pay them. I can't remember how much it was. It's not stupid. And you sit the, uh, you sit the exam, you're online with the, uh, the, the tutor who's over, who, who's over watching it all. And then you, you send in the, the answers. We're, we're currently waiting for the results to come out in the next two weeks. There are a hundred different ways you can make this happen. Again, it comes back to you have a choice, explore your options, do your own research and kind of design the life that is best for you. But you're going to come up against a lot of pushback, a lot of pushback from the social construct because people, man, they don't mind telling you straight away that you're a bad parent if you're even thinking about doing this. Uh, because it's just, you face this as a Bitcoiner as well. You know, you go against the financial legacy system, people are going to look at you like you're, you know, a heretic or just some crazy conspiracy theorist. Same with homeschooling, mate. Same with homeschooling, alternative schooling of any sort. Just follow the rules. Just get the certificates and life will be all right. You'll get the 2.4, the kid, the two cars, the white picket fence, and everything's rosy. Well, we all know that's bullshit too. So (laughs) if you have the choice, which you do, then exercise it. Yeah, well, the choice is something that we might not get to exercise for very long in many places. It's becoming uh, increasing the... The limit of what we can choose is uh, becoming more and more constricted every single day. Um, so in terms of, um, choices, so you, you still don't really have a very set answer about what to cover. Uh, It's just let the child decide, or is there some kind of curriculum that you aim to cover? So, um, are there some kind of milestones, you know, they need to be able to read and write by this age. They need to be able to do addition and subtraction, multiplication, algebra. How does that work? No, there's no, there's no set curriculum. Um, they're all reading and writing. Uh, that, that's, that's another myth about school. You, you don't learn to read at school. Uh, you, you just don't. Um, you, you learn how to do the alphabet and you learn how to you know, copy things off of a blackboard. But reading, reading is always learned in the home. Reading is learned with mom and dad, reading stories together when kids are very, very small. And that love of learning and that love of reading uh, should just be given time to develop. Um, if you think about uh, your home, you know, your home, your, your kids are surrounded by books all the time and they have the opportunity to go and pick them up and read them whenever they want or read them with you or read them with their older sister or older brother. They have the opportunity all of the time. In school, our kids got were only allowed to visit the library once a week and take out one book that they had to uh, then bring home, which they never read because they chose that book under compulsion and then take it back. It was just completely pointless. Uh, so um, I've lost my train of thought because I'm not answering the question again that you were original. <laughs> Curriculum. So no, we, 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 don't, we, don't have, we don't have any kind of milestones set in place. We, we do uh, kind of insist that they're doing the, the math classes each week 
and the uh, the reading and um, excuse me the the writing classes each week uh, with the um, with the Galileo. Uh, otherwise, I'm already blown away. Uh, my my second oldest daughter, she we we're using that same um, online uh, remote school in France here at the moment. She's learning GCSE math because she wanted to, so she's she's going through that. I can't do those math problems. She's doing algebra and all of this crazy stuff. It's just completely over my head. But uh, it's fun to watch her kind of tackle that. Um, and whether she sits that GCSE early or not, or does another year or two of study, because she shouldn't even be study, uh, sitting GCSEs for another three years. Um, but again, you know, you can speed this process up. As you said, the inefficiencies in the system are just so crazy. Um, but yeah, no, to answer your original question, no, that, that there's no set curriculum as far as we're concerned. So like, how common is it for, um, children to fall behind in uh, these kind of settings where, you know, they're 12 and they still can't read or they still can't do subtraction or addition because you can see the parents get, uh, caught up in all kinds of things and not following through or what do you think? Very rare. Uh, there are some cases uh, Peter Gray did a study of the Sudbury Valley School in uh, in the US, which uh, Ben Prentice went to actually, Mr. Cool BP from WTF happened in 1971. Oh, yeah. He is a crazy, self-directed, educated kid from the Sudbury Valley School uh, in, uh, in Massachusetts. That school, you turn up if you want to turn up. You learn what you want to learn. You join what class you want to class. Uh, you you want to join. Uh, and there was a story of a kid there that um, just wanted to go fish in the pond every day, and uh, that was all he did. And they just let him do it. Um, there, there, there. And God knows what he's come on to be. Some some genius of some sort, I'm sure. Uh, there are kids. Some kids don't learn to read until they're 11, and then all of a sudden they pick the book up. Done got it done because they needed to and because they wanted to and then you can't stop them um having having these milestones and, and testing kids uh is is really dangerous uh it can really put a lot of psychological baggage on them make them feel as though they are thick for want of a better word um and unable to do it for for some reason something wrong with their brain comes back to that again Whereas they're just not naturally ready for it yet. Um, yeah, there's so much worry out there about it. There's, in the UK, I know they test kids at like reading stages. Um, you're putting pressure on a five-year-old kid to be reading but at stage X, Y, or Z by the age of five and by the age of six and by the age of seven. And if you're not, able to read this book and comprehend it, then you're behind. You're being told you're thick at the age of five. It's like, that's not, that's not teaching or mentoring. That's sorting. And it's very destructive. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I agree. I think in, um, in particular with young kids, as you said, People can stress out too much about these early milestones, but they'll read when they need to read. And if they're four Have or Have you five, met an adult that can't read? Yeah. <laughs> you have? That are, yeah. 
Yeah? Yeah. But have you met them? Yes. Yeah? Yeah, there are people who can read in the world. It has there, happened. There, there, there are, yes. But, I mean, what's the percentage? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Literacy is uh, going up all the time, but there are people who still can't read. Is that because they, um, they, they didn't get to go to school or they, didn't, they weren't exposed to books? Both, probably. I would say if they were exposed to books, that would probably just solve the problem. Yeah. Yeah, I think you pick up the skills you want when you need to. But uh, yeah, if you're not exposed to books and if you're not exposed to the concept of needing to learn to read, then yeah, and these these would be older people in general. I think younger people will figure out a way to read very quickly, very easily these days. 100%, especially if they're online, mate. Like they are all of the time. Uh, you know, playing... Um, playing things like uh, Minecraft or Roblox where you've got a little chat box open and you're playing with your cousin who's in a different country or a different part of the country and you're chatting to each other in the chat box whilst you're playing. People think that they're just bumming out doing nothing. They're learning. They're le that is a learning opportunity, especially uh, Minecraft where you're building stuff. You're, yes, you're in a virtual world. You might not be out in nature, but you're in a virtual world you're building things, you have freedom to learn, and you're reading and you're writing at the same time. But it just gets, it, it gets completely, no, they're playing computer games. We've got to stop that. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. So you're, you would call yourself more of an unschooler than a homeschooler, huh? Self-directed education. Um, to to homeschool, you have to unschool, I would say, because if, like I said at the beginning, if you go into it with a school mindset, and here's a thing, here's here's a warning to parents: like you, you got to get you got to get yourself ready. Uh, um, you've got to unschool yourself first of all, uh, and you've got to take a, a very strong look at what the system has done to you in the past how it's affected uh, you and uh, your, your adult life and your learning opportunities, your, your career path, uh, because all of it will tie back to um, some positive or mostly, in most cases, uh, highly negative problems that, uh, that you faced in school and that, that could range from uh, being, being placed in, in bottom sets or being bullied, or not being able to take exams because your grades aren't good enough, or you know, just uh, being faced against a bad teacher, being uh, paired with um, awful classmates. There's a lot there, and it's it's deep. And if you um, you, you have to you have to face that down and unschool yourself, and believe. Place, place faith back in the process of learning and trust that the child is learning all of the time, all of the time, all of the time, even if they're not in a, in a, in a lesson, they're learning always. You can't stop it. Unfortunately, school tries, <laughs> but you can't stop. You cannot stop a, a kid learning. Uh, so if you can get in the way when you need to, uh, and give them exposure to the tools that they need 
when they're showing interest in something, and it could be anything. It could be, you know, showing interest in learning to play guitar. Get on eBay and buy a guitar for $30. You know, just put it in their hands. Don't hire a teacher and send them off to lessons. Just get the damn tool and give it to them and see if they are going to enjoy it. And if it doesn't work out, it was 30 bucks. Resell it. It doesn't matter. But if it does work out and they're showing more interest, then go and get the tutor. Or then they join um, uh, a band or a group of other people that are looking to, uh, to play. And that's real socialization. Yeah. Right? That's socialization. Football is socialization. You know, my, my son plays for the local team. That's where his friends are. He doesn't have friends out of a school. He has friends from his football club because they love football and they depend on each other when they're playing in the team. And so they create this camaraderie with each other and they socialize with each other. They go to each other's birthday parties. Used to, uh, you know, this, um, that, that socialization, uh, getting in the way as a parent when you need to, to provide the tools for a kid that's showing interest in something is hugely important. Yeah, I think this is uh, th- this is the, uh, the the first response I have for the socialization question is, well, you know, that's not preparing for society. Society is a place where people deal with each other voluntarily, and I think the follow up is, you know, just because the kid doesn't go to school doesn't mean they're not going to socialize. They're going to socialize in settings that are more similar to what they do in life. In other words, they get. To, that they decide willingly and voluntarily to join some kind of uh, organization and setting where they want to be part. So it could be we go on a, um, we, you know, we join a soccer team, we go swimming, uh, we go sailing, we go hiking in the mountains. You know, you get together with like-minded people who want to do something similar. You go take photographs, um, or, you know, you learn chemistry. You go to somebody's house to learn chemistry from them. Or you go and learn math from somebody who's really smart at math and who uh, gives or lessons. Or Austrian economics. Or Austrian economics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So how so- about you guys? Like the, the, these <laughs> weekly calls. Like seriously, everybody here on this call, we've been turning up for God knows how long. Like it's like a therapy session each week. It's brilliant. <laughs> but like you and I would not have met if you didn't set that up. And I turned That's up true. because I wanted to learn. And you showed up because you wanted to teach. And so did all the other guys. So now we've got like, how many now safe? Like 20, 30, 40 people, you know, on, on any week uh, that are showing up and socializing. We socialize. You know, not all of these calls are recorded, right? Sometimes we're just hanging out and bullshitting. Uh, this, this is huge. This, you formed a social group. And we come, we socialize, and we learn at the same time without even realizing we're learning sometimes. Yeah, and it's because it's voluntary, and that's why it's uh, everybody behaves in a civilized way because everybody realizes everybody else has a choice about whether they want to be here or not. And so, if you behave in a way that is antisocial, uh, you alienate others. They either kick you out or they stop coming in, and so then the whole thing is gone. So people have a very different mentality. You know, it's interesting that uh, kids will uh, bully each other and will get bullied in school. But then you move them to another setting where they interact with each other in, uh, uh, like in, say, university or in uh, places where they're, uh, or, or at work. And that dynamic disappears because they're dealing with each other in a voluntary setting. And this kind of 
somebody who's there, who's stuck, and uh, this kind of antagonistic uh, hostility toward one another disappears when you take them out of that setting. Yeah, completely. And uh, yeah. yeah, did you see what Lindley said in the... <laughs> <laughs> If we are socializing here, does that make us socialists? <laughs> uh, yeah, um, there's, I don't know, man. Um, is there anything left? Uh, did, did, did we take everything off? Uh, I've got a few, um, a few uh, tools if people want to use it. Um, actually, there's another quote from Sir Ken Robinson. If, if you... You can't ask an eight-year-old child to sit down and do low-grade clerical work for eight hours a day and not expect them to get bored. And it's just perfect. Five days a week. Yeah. You know? Like, that's crazy. But there are some tools that uh, the listeners can check out uh, if they want to do their own research. Um, John Holt, uh, he wrote a book, I think it was in the 50s. He's very well known as probably the, the founding father of the homeschooling movement coming out of the US. Um, you can find his books. Pat Ferenga carried on his work at johnholtgws.com. Uh, Naomi Fisher's book, Changing Our Minds. Uh, Hold On to Your Kids by Gabor Mate. That's, that's where I kind of like started picking up on all of the psychological and traumatic kind of uh, damage it does to kids. Uh, and he does a brilliant job of um, outlining that in his book. And he tackles the social problem as well. Uh, there's a few films that you guys might be able to find on the internet uh, made by Jeremy Stewart. Uh, one is called Class Dismissed, and the other one is called Self Taught. Um, plenty of other tools which I can share with Peter to put in the show notes as well. Fantastic, yeah. And we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have uh, we have a bunch of questions from people, and we have uh, uh, well, the next uh, seminar, which is on Wednesday, we're gonna be um, going over some of these questions and discussing fiat education in more detail. You've got a lot. To, we we've uh, we've spoken about fiat education today, but I think there's more about the insidiousness that we want to cover. Yeah. There's uh, definitely so more. And I want to yeah. go over it because I've been I've read the chapter, and uh, I've got some I've got some notes here that uh, I want to pull some threads on. So I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. So thank you for joining us, Daniel, and thanks to everybody else for joining. And uh, I know we didn't have time for questions today, but we'll have uh, a lot of these questions on Wednesday. Cheers, Safe. Really appreciate uh, the chance to come on. And uh, before I go, uh, I really got to say a huge thank you for the book you wrote. First of all. Um, that's without doubt has changed my life already. Um, I owe you like a, a beer at the very least for that. Uh, but the, like we were talking about putting this, this course together and, um, these weekly calls that you host has definitely kept me sane in the last 18 months. Uh, I've got so much value out of it. Um, you've done an incredible, incredible service to so many tens, hundreds of thousands of people. And I can't imagine how many more people are going to learn from you and be orange peeled by your book and, and everything else that you're doing, your, your other two books that are coming out. So really appreciate everything that you've done. Massive, massive thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Appreciate you coming on and appreciate your words. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Yeah.